Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazers podcast. I'm Jason Taché, legal affairs writer for the journal. Before we get started, we wanted to thank our new sponsor, Answer One, for its support of the show. Their virtual reception service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to handle inbound calls, schedule appointments, and even respond to emails. Check them out at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Today, we have with us Joyce Raby, Executive Director of the Florida Justice Technology Center. Thank you so much for being with us, Joyce. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for asking. And uh, before we start today's conversation, which I'm excited for, I need to disclose that before coming to the journal full-time, I was hired by Joyce as a consultant for an expungement project that they were running down in Florida. So I want to make sure we get that out there early on in our conversation. But I obviously come to this conversation with some idea of what type of work you've been up to. But for those that haven't heard of the Florida Technology Justice Center, give us a sense of what you do. What kind of projects are you working on? So the Florida Justice Technology Center was created as a brainchild of the Florida Bar and the Florida Bar Foundation. We are a statewide 501c3 nonprofit, and we create online tools and resources for people to address their civil legal needs without benefit of counsel. The formal mission is to use technology innovatively to increase access to justice. So we took over the Florida Law Help site, public legal education website, We are responsible for the Florida Advocate site, which is the site that is targeted to those who work in legal aid programs to help people with their legal issues. We also have a Florida name change tool to help people. It's a document assembly type tool. It allows people to get their names changed in Florida. It also allows them to modify their gender markers. And I think that's probably right now the big ones. The flagship effort for us was our triage project. We did a pilot version, very small, single county, two areas of law. And we're looking to expand that and relaunch the development effort to do a statewide version of that system sometime this year. And so now you have obviously a number of projects that you've been working on. You've had a chance to implement some of these around the state. I'm curious, what were some of the early assumptions that you had about how your work was going to play out? And how were those proven wrong by the forces of reality when you began to start implementing? Sure, sure. I really think the triage pilot was probably our most instructive project that we've done to date. I think that we learned a lot. We built that triage pilot off um, an existing model. It was a very standard kind of one question per screen, walk you through an interview, collect some data about your legal issue, and then offer you a referral to a tool, an online resource, a low bono program, a pro bono program, a lawyer referral service. There's all kinds of different things that we had included as potential referral agencies. And I think we learned things kind of at the overarching level, and then we learned things kind of at the micro level. So one of the things we learned kind of just from a big picture perspective was outreach. I think that often in the legal aid community, we think there is so much need and that people are constantly looking. And so we don't always kind of think through all the way branding, outreach, promotion, marketing, all of those things that get the tools into the hands of the people that you're looking for. And I think that the pilot wasn't as used as we had hoped. And we really 
focused on outreach as being one of the reasons why. We had done some, but clearly not enough. And at the micro level, there were things like we did eviction was one of the two subject areas that we focused on, thinking that eviction was going to be, you know, a high urgency, high pain point. People would really need help. That would help generate a lot of traffic through the site. And what we found after we looked at what was coming into the system and some of the data that was happening in the courthouse is that a lot of people simply default on evictions. They, they either don't know that they have a the potential for a legal response. They don't understand that they might be able to secure some additional benefit. So they simply don't respond at all. They move out, they find another place to live, they move on. And so that was one of those things that I think paying attention to, when are you attempting to intervene with individuals in their legal issue? Those folks, maybe we needed to get to much earlier. Maybe we need to do more know your rights kinds of materials and get those into the hands of people so that when faced with eviction, they might realize that they do have a legal alternative. So it's really interesting, I think, to go through this process from a pilot idea where you're just going to do something very small to sort of surface all of those kinds of issues that you might find that you think you know, and maybe you really don't. (laughs) So that's interesting what you said about eviction, this idea that you thought it was going to drive traffic to your websites, but ultimately it didn't do that. So I'm curious, taking a step back in your thought process, how are you deciding what problems to tackle? And once you have a sense of what maybe legal area you want to get into, how are you defining the scope of those problems? So I think, especially in the pilot that we did, so remember, single county, very rural county in Florida, only two areas of law, simple dissolution and eviction. And we picked those because we thought those would be things that they present a lot at legal aid programs in the community. So we knew it was going to be an issue. We could look at the courts and we could see that there were lots of eviction filings. We didn't, unfortunately, look so much to see what kinds of responses people were issuing. But I think it's one of those high issues that you tend to be, from Google Analytics, if you're looking at the Florida Law Help site, so public legal education material, eviction is something that people search for a lot. Legal aid programs report that they get a lot of questions about eviction. So we we really thought we kind of had nailed something specific that would be uh, what we were calling an It's kind of an unfortunate term, but true. It's sort of a pain point that we were hoping to alleviate. And I think what we're going to have to do is vet those kinds of ideas more thoroughly with the community specifically before we build with that being the idea that we're going to be able to respond to those. So I think we can respond to eviction and we could have offered materials to them. I think we needed to understand where people were in the process of getting an eviction in order to be able to supply the right kinds of resources to them at that time. So it's a lot more community research. Go talk to different kinds of programs, talk to different kinds of social service agencies, talk to more libraries, talk to more places where people try to find assistance, and then look to those measurements as being a way to kind of guide us towards the right and most useful initial tools that we could build that would be helpful for folks online. Does that make sense? Sure. It sounds like you're learning to take a little bit more of a user-centered design approach to your tool development. Is that a fair assessment? That is absolutely a fair assessment. And I think that when we walked into doing the triage pilot, one of the things that we wanted to do was we wanted to do something very quick and very dirty so that we could get it up and see what would happen and see what we could learn. And so we probably didn't do as much front-end as we now know we need to do. So I think that's been probably the biggest switch when looking at doing a statewide system is how much front-end work can we do to build in some of that 
user-centered design, not only in the way the system presents the data and captures the data, but then also just what kinds of issues people are really having and what's the right sort of solution. So a lot more focus on finding actually, you know, client-eligible kinds of communities that we can talk to directly, as well as, I think, a broader sweep of not just legal aid agencies and the foundation, but perhaps, you know, social service agencies and community centers and other places where we might be able to sort of grapple a little bit more with the direct customer, if you will, of our service and make sure that we're really answering their needs effectively. We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter AnswerOne Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. AnswerOne's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. AnswerOne helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-ANSWER-ONE or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we're back. So your work comes along at a time where the access to justice gap has been getting more attention, a lot of it through people trying to improve access to the civil legal aid system through technology. The most recent Legal Services Corporation report that I saw has quantified this at about a gap of 86% of low-income people that can't receive or don't receive appropriate legal services. But One thing that I've noticed and I've spent a lot of time thinking about is that the A2J technology world seems to me to have been a little bit slow or unable to assess its own impact. And now you've talked a little bit about how your early projects didn't quite pan out the way that you'd hoped. I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit more about how you're assessing the impact of your work and uh, just to to better understand uh, your thought process on that front. Sure. I will say it's been... Measurement, we're a very data-driven kind of organization. We do a lot of, we have some, we are building some standard and just, you know, Google Analytics types tools that help us look at all the products we create and then compare sort of apples to apples, like what, you know, not only usage, but then also attempting to kind of close the loop so that we can figure out what's happening in terms of outcomes, what happens actually when people end up going to court or if they file or do they file, is filing really the right answer? But it is a very hard thing. And I don't something that the greater sort of legal aid technologists within legal aid or that intersection of technology and legal aid has really taken a hard look at understanding what our impact is. And as somebody who's been doing this for a very long time, I am deeply interested in answering that question just for my own sake. But also I think FJTC is in a unique position to really want to know that answer because that's part of how we talk about the work that we do. I certainly want to be able to justify to people, to our donors, to our funders, to just members, taxpayers in Florida, that the work we are doing has a positive impact and is actually making a difference. We started last fall trying to come up with a way to actually do just that. We partnered with the Institute for the Advancement of the American Legal System, it's an organization out of Denver University. They spent a little money, we spent a little money, and we hired a researcher, Laura Quinn, who, I don't know, Jason, if you know her, you may be familiar with her. She founded Idealware, which does a lot of research in the nonprofit 
arena around the different kinds of technology tools that people are using and how they're using them effectively. And she and I spent some time, she did a kind of an overview snapshot of the landscape, looking at research around the country to see how were people measuring the impact of their technology tools on the justice gap. And we didn't find anything and decided that we should come up with something because FJTC needs to be able to know this. The whole community really needs to. We're at that point, I think, just in terms of the the maturity of the industry, it's time for us to take a hard look at the work that we've been doing to see how we're impacting the justice gap. So she created what we're calling um, the Drake Equation for Legal Aid, and there's materials on FJTC's website that gives you a lot more detail about what this is. But Dr. Frank Drake, if I can give you just a little bit of history, was a scientist in the 60s who came up with a formula to understand or at least begin to quantify the number of planets in the solar system that might have intelligent life. And the purpose of the equation initially wasn't to come up with a hard number, wasn't to say the answer is 42. The purpose of the formula was to create, to to just structure a conversation, to provide some guidance on where should we be looking? How will we think about if we wanted to figure out this number? And so Laura came up with a series of variables that really talk about who our market is and how well we're hitting our effectiveness and efficiency of the tools that we create and created a formula sort of based on that model. She had looked at a couple of different market models to kind of understand, you know, how would we measure market penetration, for example. That's a pretty typical one. I think there's also a couple of others that she looked at. But the Drake equation really allowed us to kind of think broadly about, well, how would we know what kinds of factors, what kinds of criteria are really important to us if we were going to figure it out. And um, she put together a formula. We wrote up a short little white paper, invited some folks at the LSE's most recent ITCON, I think is the new name for this conference. It's the TIG conference. It used to be. It's now, I think, Innovations in Technology Conference. It was held in January. We had folks from PU Charitable Trust. The RAND Corporation was there. The National Center for State Courts was there. The Legal Services Corporation was there. Harvard's A2J Lab was there. We had folks from a variety of really, really intense research, think tanky kind of folks to take a look at it. And we've had a very positive response to the idea and to the specifics of the formula. We're right now doing case studies to apply the Drake equation in a number of different kinds of circumstances. So some of it looks like document assembly, for example. Some of it's looking at just narrative content that's on a website, like what kind of resource has what kind of impact. We're working with folks in Montana, Georgia, Florida. I know that Michigan... And there's probably a couple of others we've been sort of promoting the idea that anybody could take the Drake equation and begin to try to grapple with it a little, identify the actual numbers that fit with each variable and then come up with an answer. And the more we can kind of quantify not only in different jurisdictions or different geographies, but different kinds of tools, we could sort of line them all up. The more data we have, the better we'll have a sense of whether the Drake equation is really going to give us anything informative. We're very optimistic at this point, especially because we've presented it to such a well-respected group that we kind of figure somebody would have already laughed at us if, we, <laughs> if it wasn't going to be something useful. So at this point, we're just turning through some data, hoping to get something that we can produce sometime in the summer to just 
say this is a way to measure what we do, and it is something that if FJTC will implement across the board into every single thing that we do so that we can talk about relative effectiveness, comparing different products to each other, but also just say, cumulatively, the work of FJTC has this kind of X percent impact on the justice gap in Florida. To dig into that point a little bit more, when we talk about the impact that the Drake equation is looking at, is it just looking to see if whatever that local 86% gap number is closing or like how is impact being defined? That's a great question. I will say it's not been necessarily the easiest thing to determine and part of the case study, applying these case studies. So for example, just because sometimes it's easier to talk in you know concrete terms. So we're looking at eviction again, because that's, again, it's a really common problem. A lot of low-income people have it. A lot of people generally have it. So if we were to look at an eviction page in Florida Law Help, a page with similar content on the Georgia Law Help site or their legal aid site, Montana's legal aid site, you know, we might find several different states, all of whom have kind of a similar chunk of content formatted in a similar way. So we start to quantify those variables. What we might say, and we don't have a great way of talking about it yet. I want to continue to hammer the point, Jason, that we're not even in the beta version of this formula. We're in the very early stages, but we've been calling it more like Drake's. So if we were to find that in Florida, say the material about eviction that was on Florida Law Health really once you run the numbers, kind of results in, let's say, 42. So it's 42 drakes, whatever that is, right? That only really makes a lot of sense if you look at it in comparison to, say, the eviction material that's sitting in Georgia actually comes out to be 86. So what's 86 drakes? Well, how does that compare? Montana's maybe at 60, and maybe maybe Michigan is at 12. Well, once you start looking at all those numbers and you put all the, the data up together, then perhaps we can begin to compare not only what does that mean when one is higher or lower, is higher we're assuming would be better. Does that mean that it, it hits more that many more people, that it's that much more accessible, that the material itself is more useful? Like you can see where the can of worms goes, but it's a place to start in thinking about how we look at content and how we think about the tools and resources that we put online. So that's the first kind of layer. I think ultimately for FJTC, we would take all of that across every single product and tool that we create and that we would do some sort of cumulative number that would begin to say, okay, so if everything that FJTC does together results in 86 drakes, whatever that is, now how do we take that number and actually apply it to the justice gap and know if it's making a difference or not? And some of that will be driven by the number of people targeted, the, the population number, there's an accessibility criteria in the formula, there's lots of other I think factors, once you're trying to then apply whatever the response to the Drake equation formula is, whatever that number is, then you have to figure out from there, there's another calculation that'll probably have to be created that would then tell you what the impact on the justice gap as a percentage is. So does that make sense? You know, we're baby stepping our way through trying to kind of grapple with each piece, but the ultimate goal would be able to do both things, to be able to talk about the relative effectiveness of resources and tools in relationship to each other to help us understand where we should best invest. And also then, how does all of those tools together, are they really making a difference in terms of addressing access to justice? 
So that's interesting. So trying to quantify across jurisdictions, particular approaches that are popular in the A2J tech space and its impact. I'm curious if that approach, well, I think it's it's necessary and a useful experiment to be undertaking, if it puts on blinders to maybe underlying problems that aren't technology problems and obscures maybe a larger universe of issues. Yeah. And do remember, I mean, FJTC is a tech company. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a legal aid provider. I'm not a service provider. I build tools. You know, my entire focus is technology. So I will tell you, there's a whole slew of people who are never going to use the tools that I create or the tools that I have. So those folks, my hope is, you know, we create tools for people who can use them with the idea that then more resources of the legal aid programs actually get delivered to people who aren't going to be able to use a technology tool. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, that's interesting because this is something I was, Mary Jutton, who has a column on the ABA Journal's website, wrote a piece this week about technology and access to justice. And I was having a conversation with her over Twitter about what I see as a common oversight, in my opinion, in the A2J tech space, which is the discussion around the digital divide, which is an acknowledgement that not every group of people has equal access to technology and the internet. And so to your point, you do note that some people just aren't going to be able to access the tools that you're developing. And I also noticed in reading through the white paper you put out on the Drake equation that the digital divide isn't discussed there either. So I was curious to knowing if the Drake equation assumes that people of all ages, races, and classes access the internet similarly, and if so or why not, why that choice was made. Okay. So again, I would say, you know, part of the reason that we focused on the Drake equation work focuses on the impact of technology tools, I think broadly, because FJTC is a tech company, those are the tools we build. That's what I want to measure, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we just have to sort of be honest about, (laughs) you know, I'm going to measure something that has a particular, it does have a particular need and use for FJTC that was the catalyst for creating the Drake equation to begin with. And I do think in the Drake equation that one of the criteria we use is accessibility. And that cut across, that includes age. So we understand, for example, people maybe over 65 or over 75 might not have the same kind of access or comfort level or technology savvy as somebody that was in their 20s or 30s. So that accessibility factor gets included. I don't think we specifically addressed the digital divide, but we certainly recognize that there is going to be a whole group of people that don't have smartphones, don't have access to any kind of technology, even if their library has that kind of stuff, transportation may be an issue. So I think we looked at internet connectivity as being one of the factors we would take into consideration. But I think the conversation that you're having is really about measuring just the impact of all the work that we do, regardless of whether or not it's a technology tool. And the Drake equation is really focused on measuring the impact of technology on access to justice. So for us, that wasn't, you know, I know that there are tools that I'm going to create, that FJTC is going to create, that are not going to be used by people who don't have access to online resources because all of the tools we create are online. It feels weird to say we deliberately did not include that as one of the things we were dealing with because it doesn't apply to the specific circumstance we were attempting to measure. No, that makes sense. And I guess this goes to just a a bigger philosophical question that I often tussle with with the A2J tech space. And this is echoing Keith Porcaro, who I teach a course on legal technology with. 
technology tends to magnify existing power structures within a society. And so when it comes to legal aid, however, it's meant to give voice and power to those without either. And so I wonder where, if that creates a disconnect then between this idea of closing access to justice through technology. I wonder if you have any thoughts to that. It's a big question, but one I tussle with a lot. Yeah, (laughs) it is a big question. It is a big question. I think it does, because I'm a technologist and because that my work for the past 20 years has really been at this intersection, I don't think that I've really grappled because my focus has been somewhat, I guess, lower on the philosophical food chain, if you were, and trying to figure out all the ways in which technology can sort of level the playing field rather than really grappling with the, in what ways does it not, you know, does it, does it alter the playing field or skew the playing field towards the existing power structures? And I don't have a, I'm still, I'm talking and thinking at the same time, which is always a little dangerous, but I'm just, I'm going to go for it, Jason. So I appreciate it. I would say (laughs) that the legal industry doesn't seem to be the most, technically savvy or most hasn't implemented technology to the level that a lot of other industries have. You know, if you think about the retail space and the difference between 20 years ago, going into a store to buy something and now being able to do something on Amazon, you can see where there's just been a, you know, how people think about how they shop is just completely different now, right? I never would have thought that I would order just basic household supplies off Amazon just because it's convenient. It's easy. It's simple. You look at the way the court system works and it's still very much the way it's kind of always been. It's very paper intensive. There's lots and lots of, you know, confirm that this person is who they say they are, confirm that this person has this particular right, confirm that this person understands the rules and protocols and procedures that are going to go along with filing a court case. It's certainly very complicated. So while I think there's a maybe a case to be made for how technology kind of skews power towards those already in positions of power. I'm not always sure in the in the justice system that I would say that technology has really performed that function because they're not really using technology in order to withhold their power. They use the authority and the rule of law is where their power comes from, right? So I'm grappling a little with the idea that I shouldn't be using technology or that I'm somehow missing the boat if I'm trying to use it to actually level the playing field. Sure. No, and I don't know if what the right answer is to that question. I'm, I've grown more and more curious about the unintended consequences of these technologies, as the majority of people writing in the space keep talking about how technology is going to bring us to salvation on a lot of these justice gap issues. <laughs> and I would say, as somebody who's been around a little bit, you know, I think we've been saying for a very long time that technology was going to be the saving grace for the justice ecosystem. And I don't think it is. I think it's a really critical component and I think it has a lot to offer and I think it can have a big impact done thoughtfully, done well. You have to constantly iterate. You know, one of the things that we are very conscientious about at FJTC is this idea that, you know, you can't just build something and then walk away, right? You build something and you have to constantly pay attention to it and nurture it and foster improvements and make refinements and think through You know, as people change and as the way they interact with technology changes, we have to be responsive to those trends and those factors. And so I think, I don't think it's the be all and end all. I do think where we've seen it applied in ways where it's very thoughtfully done and intelligently done, I think it can help people who right now aren't getting any help at all. 
I don't think that it is a solution to close the entire justice gap because I don't think everybody's ever going to be in a situation in which everybody can take advantage of an online tool. But I know that right now there's a whole lot of people who get absolutely nothing. And I would rather at least that there be a resource online or information online or even better, a tool, a task-oriented tool that walks you through, just like TurboTax walks you through figuring out your tax return. You know, we do something similar or perhaps even better a way to to get people so that at least they start to understand this is how I can begin to grapple with these kinds of issues in my life. Because there are people who can take advantage of those who I think right of those kinds of resources and online tools that right now don't get anything at all. So to me, it's more of a, can we at least get more people getting help? Not that I'm going to be able to eradicate the entire justice gap. I think that's a, I think that's putting on technology more than technology is really going to be able to do. Evolution as opposed to revolution, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a big fan of iterative, right? Let's build it and see what happens and then let's improve it and then let's iterate again and then let's take into consideration these other bits and pieces that we didn't know. It's a never-ending process. I don't know that we'll ever get to zero justice gap, but I think we can close it. We can have an impact. We can make a difference. So with that eye towards the future, and it doesn't seem like you're shying away from big projects, I'm curious what's next for you and your team. Well, we have a couple of the name change tool proved to be really um, popular and we get a lot of traffic in a very short amount of time. So we're looking to build off of that. Birth certificates is one of those things that people really need. And you have to, it's a, it's a key piece of documentation that uh, homeless people, sometimes it gets lost. You know, if you have any kind of disaster, gee, a hurricane comes through, maybe you don't have all the paperwork, maybe you don't have a copy of it online those kinds of things. So we're looking at uh, expanding the name change tool, which is really targeted to identification documents, much like the gender markers. We'll add the birth certificate piece to that. That's a piece we're looking at. I have a new board member that's very interested in getting into creating a tool that would help people who have chronic health conditions get their medication and participate in pharmaceutical company-sponsored discounts for um, very, especially very expensive medication. We're also looking at a statewide version of triage. That's our big flagship effort. We'll be grappling with that, starting to do development at some point, probably within the next couple of months here in Florida. And then just talking and talking and talking with people. We've had, it's really interesting. We've had uh, private attorneys come to us with ideas. We've had board members come to us with ideas. We've had legal aid programs come to us with ideas. So we're open to working with anyone to try to figure out, identify kind of the low-hanging fruit on easy, to, you know, tools that could be created that will have a big impact across the board. And then at the same time, trying to find these bigger, gnarlier, more wicked problems and grapple with those as well. So maybe a couple of other smaller tools and then statewide triage is kind of our big one along with Drake Equation. I mean, that's a you have a full plate, it sounds like, in regards to what you're working on. And unfortunately, we don't have the time to cover it all. So if people want to hear more about any of the things you've talked about today or even the things we haven't touched on, where's the best place for them both to connect with you and learn more? Sure. FloridaJusticeTechnologyCenter.org is our website, and it's all strung out together, all lowercase. There's no underscores or anything. It's just FloridaJusticeTechnologyCenter.org. There's a list of all of our products and projects and things that we're working on. And then, of course, you can always get a hold of me, Joyce, at 
Florida, justicetechnologycenter.org. If I could have gotten FJTC, I would have totally bought it. But there's some gentleman in Japan that will not let it go. I've tried and he's not, he's not, there's, it means something to someone else who got to it before I did. URLs are just modern day real estate. Thank you so much, Joyce. I have a bunch more questions for you, but it'll have to wait for another conversation, which I hope we get the chance to have. So thank you again for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jason. This is Jason Tache signing off for the ABA Journal's Legal Rebel Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.